0: This is episode number 65 of the SHIPS podcast with Marisa Verson Harrison. Welcome to SHIPS! My name is Pat McAndrew and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives— Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Ships Podcast today. I hope you are all in for a great episode. We have an amazing guest. Her name is Marisa Verson Harrison and she it really dives deep into the episode talking about some incredibly important topics she is the co-founder of Screen Age Bootcamp which is an online coaching platform to help parents create tech life balance in the screen age. After 25 years in tech marketing, Marisa watched her 14-year-old son become addicted to video games and erode her family and values. Desperate to save her son from tech addiction, Marisa built a system to protect her own family, then adapted the program to offer a simple solution for all families battling the threats of addictive digital media. Prior to Screen Age Bootcamp, Marisa was a serial entrepreneur and startup tech marketer. Marisa founded a tech PR firm, sold it to Omnicom, and served as VP of marketing for several startups, including her own e-commerce product company for dog lovers. Marisa passionately speaks about the perils of addictive digital media to schools, parent groups, and mindful living forums across the country. She lives in the Oakland Hills with her ex-husband, two children, dog, and cat. Marisa is joining us with a wealth of experience that she will be sharing in this episode. She talks about her entrepreneurial journey about how online learning is still a bit of a failure and how her company is really changing the scope into how we learn online. She talks about the importance of group accountability, about parents becoming digital mentors to their kids, and how parenting should align with the kid's personality. We also talk a lot about the importance of family values in today's digital age, and how valuable our attention truly is. So this is a really great episode. If you know of a teen, a kid, or a parent who is suffering from digital addiction, who is really encapsulated by everything that technology has to offer and is neglecting other parts in their lives feel free to send them to this episode because Marisa's words will truly help. So without further ado, please let me introduce Marisa Versa Harrison. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the SHIPS podcast. Today, our guest is Marisa Verson-Harrison. Marisa, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Glad to be here.
0: I'm very excited to dive into this conversation with you. We got connected really actually a good while ago, and it's so exciting to reconnect with you. I'm very inspired by the work that you're doing with Screen Age Bootcamp, and it's a service and really a program that is very essential, and I believe becoming more essential as we're continuing to evolve within our society as technology is advancing. So I'm really excited to have you on the show and dive into this kind of conversation.
1: Yeah, thanks so much. Um, I'm honored to be here among your uh prestigious guests. So thanks for having
0: me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling us a bit about yourself and what led you on the path that you're pursuing today with Screen Age Bootcamp.
1: Sure. Um I'm more of a I guess I'd be characterized as a startup junkie um and an entrepreneur. Um I went to go for my son's uh, job day for the high school and he's like but mom you don't have a job. I'm like well rent then rent is due Um, because, you know, as an entrepreneur, oftentimes the kids don't really see all the hard work. But um, so I worked in, I had a PR firm in the 90s in the heyday and I've launched over, I mean, honestly, over a hundred, if not more startups. Um, And then I went on to continue to do all kinds of marketing, VP of marketing and such. And then I started my own, believe it or not, when you have children and then you get a dog, you like your dog. (laughs) So I started a, uh, because the dog didn't talk and he loves me. So I started a subscription um, dog products company. Um, Like I said, entrepreneur at heart. And then uh, I really had my personal experience. It was through my family that this company, Screen Age Bootcamp, came up because, um, and again, I don't know if you want me to segue into that, but I'm essentially an entrepreneur and a tech marketer. That's my heritage.
0: Using that type of experience, what was it that then led you into the digital wellness space? So
1: that is like many startups. I had my personal experience, came up with a scrappy solution. I had other people who wanted my solution. I started sharing it with a very close personal friend, Sherry Burnett, who was also my found, the co-founder, because she started working with me very early on. We're completely different people. Our family dynamics are different. And I kind of wanted to see would it work for her family as well? It did. So she joined me and then we kind of refined it and decided we wanted to share with more than our small community. And we built a curriculum online and then a support system. Um, The way we deliver it to the world is the same way I started taking online courses, Um, I really kind of joined this productivity cult, if you will, because I took numerous classes from them, and the way they delivered the content to me and had me absorb it and and integrate it into my life through the online forum, um, I thought that was a great way to deliver change, to have real real behavior change in the world. So that's the modality I chose to deliver it.
0: Wow. Yeah, and I think it's a very specific way to go about doing it. And it's, I think, a very effective medium in which people can take these online courses and learn at their own pace and really take the time to retain the information in their own flow, which is a little bit different if you're like sitting in a classroom where everyone is being taught something at the same pace. And so I think, especially in the context of digital wellness, Everyone's going to retain this information differently. Everyone's using their technology differently. And so I think being educated in the way that you're going about it, I can only imagine is probably very effective.
1: Well, I will say overall, online learning as as a whole is still a bit of a a. a, a failure. And I'll say that because if you just stick traditional education online, it's ineffective. I learned from the best, a shout out to Demir and Carrie Bentley from Lifehack Bootcamp, because they really taught me. And again, I was with them for four years, taking lots of courses that the way they created the model is much like a bootcamp. And I'll say that because, you know, the elite training of bootcamps is, you really require a lot of the user and it's the inverted classroom model and then the online community component for accountability. So the um, the graduation rate and sort of behavior change rate for most online courses is actually quite poor. But um, I kind of learned I learned best practices from from participating in those courses and adopted those for my course as well. So, yes, online learning has huge potential, but it has to be done right.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I could, you know, after you saying that, I could see how probably many people fall into these traps of creating it in a way that is maybe even borrowed from traditional learning. Lectures, and- you
1: know, the lecture hall you know, who wants to sit there and listen to it online? And then the multitasking, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's, you know, they figure, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy this. So most people will spend the money. You know, I, this is a person who's gone to the conferences, I've gone to the lectures, I've read the books, I've listened to the podcast, those do not result in behavior change. So there's probably a whole separate episode on, That that we could dive into, but I don't want to get off track. Because (laughs) you know, again, here's the thing: people want to change things. They figure, you know, clicking checkout is easier than actually looking at themselves. And behavior change is hard. Um. So, and for parents specifically, if I kind of take that subsegment, what what most parents prefer to do is to blame the children for the problem. They want to blame the tech giants, the schools, and the kids themselves. And unfortunately, that's not the way this ball rolls. Um, so um, there's a lot of heated, charged subjects around changing one's parenting model because people hold that close to their identity. You say, what do you want to be better at, parenting or your job? I think most people would choose parenting because it's the way they leave a legacy.
0: Now, given all of what you just said, what what do you believe are the most effective ways in which we can learn?
1: So. I will give are you talking about overall or it, uh,
0: yeah, I would say I would say overall, given your experience. Right. So
1: um, what the way that we teach it is we give people a primer where we ask them to tell us about themselves. We then give them our content, but we release the content over time, and then we have a moderated online group forum where people get to know each other and they become accountable to each other and to the coach if you will. And so they learn the content first, right? So they have to have gone through the content first and done their homework and then they come essentially to class. So it's different than if you would say the traditional classroom where you you read you're supposed to be taught the curriculum, then you do the homework and then you get tested on it and it never really comes back. So for long-term behavior change, there's there are models that are proven. But with this model, what we say is, okay, you take a thing, you do it, you first you learn it, then you make it apply to your life, you do the homework, then you show up for group to group accountability, and then you say, Here are my problems and what's the way you did it? So in the group, you actually problem solve. It's called practicum, doing something while learning it, right? So that I believe, and then coming back and even writing about it and doing it for your friends, essentially teaching someone else is the best way to learn. So, but there's this, it's it's a fairly immersive process over time where you go back to the ideas and you're required to do the homework, bring it to a group, tell them what you've done, talk about your problems, revisit it and keep doing it in the group and then build on that. We also give templates, but they're customizable and we help people work around these things again for my particular topic screen how to get you know the screen management problem is going to be very different from someone who's introducing an ipad early on in their kid's life to from someone who's got a 17 year old who they, who they've been allowing you know who've had a consequence free environment for their devices. They have a TV in the room, they sleep with their phone, there are um, Alexas all over the house. This thing that crept on up, up on us is the inconvenient truth of our time. And literally, the forces against our society in allowing this to happen are so big, I can't blame any parents for what they've done so far or what they may do in the future. It's not a blaming episode, it's for those interested in making some changes.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's something that I I don't think is necessarily anyone's fault. It's just like how society has evolved. And I think technology has kind of gotten a hold of us quicker than what we realized. And we have this almost mindless trust in technology because it offers us so many positives and i think that oftentimes we forget to really analyze wh- how much a, a certain device or or certain tech is is serving us and i i'm, I'm curious well, with that said and given what you were just talking about your process regarding how to teach people how how to encourage people to learn what inspired you specifically to create screen age bootcamp
1: yeah, no, 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 that 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 actually will speak to the, the 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 notion that I would never criticize anybody else. So I um again, this was years ago. Um, this was in uh, about 2014, 2015 is when it came about. So the, again, remember at, at about that time, if you think about the evolution of the iPhone, I think it was 2012. And then around the times 2014, the proliferation of iPhones among kids really shot above 15%. So I lived an odd—I lived a transition at an inflection point in society that nobody had the answers for, and that's okay because as a startup person, that's my sweet spot. It's where I really thrive. Um, so what happened is I literally bought my son, my my teenage son, an Xbox. And it, when I say literally, this is someone who's always concerned about digital addiction. I mean, I had it in my consciousness. I had no idea what it really was. And and I brought it into my home, right? So I had that experience and I brought it into my home and it was the time between middle school and high school. And what I'll tell you later is we know a lot about the teen brain these days. So there are two kinds of children. And of course, there are many more kinds. But there's a book called Dandelions and Orchids that came out. And I think it was oh the beginning of this calendar year. And it's from a a study that was done at the University of Amsterdam. And it used to be just they thought it was environmental. But now they know it's also biological. Children are born with certain things biologically, genetically. And then there's environment. So, the dandelions are kids who have something inside of them where they you know they have an innate sense of who they are, and they can be put in various environments and maintain their um, personal sense of self and it, These are children from the same family right they can survive in in difficult environments then there's the orchids who can bl- bloom beautifully and turn out to be wonderful contributing members of society. Uh, but they're highly susceptible to outside influences. And this includes all kinds of influences, but specifically addictive social media. So I, at the time, had no idea, but I had an orchid. And he was a boy. He is a boy. He's still around. And um, we brought him an Xbox. And quickly, at the speed of light, it became a problem um it it's the trouble ramped up over the summer because he's a kid with a little bit more social anxiety and i don't know if you've read outliers but yes, you know for boys yes. that's around the time when elite sports you know the athletes so if the soccer kids they're kind of soccer kids you know and over the summer they're going they're playing sports at a somewhat elite level and he all of his friends from you know a a grammar school and um, and middle school were sort of going in different directions. So he had a lot of social anxiety and then there's puberty. So, you know, this is a time where you're like, whoa, what happened? Who are you? Somebody inhabited my child's body. And video games are, you know, it's the perfect solution. Free, always on, you don't risk social capital. You don't have to ask people to hang out. It's normalized and it's the ultimate addict dream intermittent variable dopamine rewards right so we kind of said hey here's a crack machine right let's put it in the corner for you while you're experiencing this extreme social anxiety Um, well as you can imagine that story didn't end well um he started uh this was again during that summer so it's the it's the white space it's also the time when you know your kid was going to camp when they were young you know you're sort of shuffling them off to these expensive camps well, middle school is the time where, like, they're not really getting a job. It's—I'm sorry—the time between middle school and high school. It's just—it's gray area, right? So, so that led to, um, you know, the perfect storm. And he started lying and sneaking devices. He was up all night. He started losing interest in other things not really grooming himself, disconnecting from his body. And in the end, he even stopped getting up to go to the bathroom. I mean, that was like, you know, sensory integration is another issue for um, for the orchids. Um, so it started really creating literally havoc in my whole family. Because when there's, you know, each child is a cog in the wheel, each family member. And it's really started to erode our family values. You can imagine the fighting. Even the siblings are affected. So behavioral addictions like video games, and video games is only one that skews a little bit more to boys, but a lot of girls are experiencing video game addiction as well. And it can really wreak as much damage on people's lives as substance abuse. And again, the stimulus creates the same chemical reward. It's dopamine. And guess what? It's not their fault. I'm the one who brought it in, okay, so that's important to remember that we as parents are responsible for both the problem well listen we' we're, we're, we 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 co-opt the problem, but now it's it's time that we set a solution so we were like we were scared, we were totally overwhelmed, and at the time. The threats of digital um, addiction were not widely known and there's no solutions out there. The substance abuse programs, I mean, we got to the point where we we're like, okay, this is ruining our whole family. What do we do with this child? We can't just kick him out on the street, you know? And plus we loved him. But and many of the substance abuse programs would say, sure, we, you know, we can treat that too, but they weren't set up for it. And, you know, people thought it was crazy. They're like, just let him think about it. And then we said military camp boarding school, but we settled on a 30 day wilderness program. And I'll try to make this shorter. Um, and we hope they'd fix him. You know, he'd come back just fixed. Thank you. It was expensive. Um, and, but the reintegration with the parents part is we learned that it's really not enforcing rules. Um, you know, like you had when they were little, around the time that the child goes through puberty, there's a man named Mike Riera that has this quote that says, once the child goes through puberty, you're fired as their manager, and you kind of need to be lobbied, you would need to lobby to be rehired as their coach, uh, you know, I and, like that. And, oh, it's a great quote. And it's so true. You know, we have to go and apply for that job. Because guess what, you cannot make a child do anything at that age. You can set out rules. And I mean, when you were a child and you got caught, I don't know about you, but did you stop what you were doing? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, yes, nervous laughter. No, you found a better way. So, so what we learned there is guess what? It really started with mentorship and building an alliance, an agreement, a two way agreement with the child. And we got this one tool that we kind of, we took away that served as the basis for the program we developed. Um, And, you know, that tool was a a two-way, we call it a screen contract, but that really, it it makes it sound too formal. It's an agreement about, it's when we bring these devices into our home, these are a privilege, not a right. And here are the rules around which this device is, these devices are allowed in our home. Right. So it's, it's really putting, um, the scaffolding around those devices that frankly should come with a warning. Um, you know, you don't let your child drive a car without being trained. And that's been institutionalized in our, in our society. But th- these, uh, these devices, because they're commercially supported are, are promoted. I mean, right now during the holidays, I mean, you cannot get away from people wanting to give you a a smart speaker right and they're doing that and when they're doing that because if it's free you are the product right yeah so um so then um we came back and we evolved that program to fit our family and even changed it over time right and we changed it over time because once they're in middle school they start high school there's a different set of things for a 17 and 18 year old and frankly my son just went away to college. That's a whole new ballgame that I can talk about when, when we get to that point, because colleges are completely unprepared for the dropout rate from video game and digital media addiction. So that's, that's like a whole new chapter for us. And, you know, like there's also been a lot of other change that has updated our program. You know, originally we started uh, for parents to combat tech addiction my exact experience, right? I wanted to skip my long expensive process and it's a simple way to navigate the deluge of advice and tools available. Then we've said, okay, well, let's make it a little more generic and say, this is how you can get your kids off screens without nagging, screaming, and fighting. Now we really feel like what we're coming out with next year, parents are, I think, ready to stop pointing the fingers at their kids and wanna learn themselves how to be digital mentors. Um, what really helped was Cal Newport's book. I don't know if you've had him on yet, but this.
0: Yeah. It's a digital minimalism. It's,
1: yeah. And of course I met him. I'm a big fan girl. Um, the, but if you take that and sort of put that through the lens of parenting, it's that in our family, um, we, we will look at devices and this has to be for sort of the, you know, the AP version of, of parenting and consciousness, but in our family we don't look at devices between what I can afford and the new technology I want to take on but we look at something called you know the net benefit. So for instance a smart speaker if you ask somebody who works at Alexa because they did this interview on NPR they'll say it's so great my child says how far is you know Japan from us and Alexa tells the child. But what they don't know is that that device is also learning the habits of their entire family, so then they can create. They even have the idea, the data to feed advertisers, so those advertisers can create new habits, new habits that lead to their own products, right? Oh, it's man. very scary. The smart speaker thing is a whole new thing. Again, there are so many little holes I can go down to here. But so the net benefit, even you say my phone, yeah, I really like the mapping technology and I'm addicted to it. But when you check that map, do you then see a text and then you start looking at a video. And again, the new kid's app is TikTok. Well, and then you're sucked into the TikTok and you see all these videos and you never leave the driveway right so the net benefit is it more does it give me more benefits or are does it threaten my productivity in life more what is the way i can adopt new technologies so they enhance my real life that's kind of where we're moving to
0: yeah it's really amazing thinking about it all and thinking about the direction that we're going to and how important it is to make changes not only as a society but also as individuals as well and i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about specifically the the boot camp part of screen age boot camp how is you you we talking a little bit about this earlier in our conversation but i'm wondering if you could dive a little deeper with it onto how the the boot camp kind of comes into play
1: yep sure So when we were thinking about how, how is it, what's the real effective way to learn back to that? So we tried to say, okay, how we, we looked at, we immersed ourselves in, you know, terabytes of information about parenting trends, neuroscience, the teen brain, um, how people change habits, all of those things. And we, we, although we say it is a simple solution, it is one that requires parents to look at things like, You know, what are their parenting styles? You know, this is, we're kind of saying, let's go back to 101, right? Let's go say, hey, if we say the kid's absence doesn't work, you can't just throw it away when you get pissed. Although that is often used as as a way to to mitigate the damage from these types of devices. It's ineffective. The child will get a new device. The child will always win. They will always break the rules. So that method does not work. But if you kind of go back and you say, okay, what is my parenting style? How's the way I can affect change in this child? And does it align with that child's personality, right? Then you go back, we, we, we kind of make them go back to things like family values. What do we value as a family? What are the things that are most important, right? So, so this will come back later when you come to the screen contract, because it's a two-way contract. The parents agree to make changes and the kids agree, uh, uh, agree to adhere to certain rules. But again, not to single out dads, but often when you ask, how does the family dinner go? Okay, oftentimes, and it's not always dads, oftentimes, it could be the moms as well. But again, traditional stereotypes, I'm afraid they still do prevail. And oftentimes, it's the woman making the dinner, not always. Um, but it's the dads oftentimes are texting on the phone, right at dinner, And that is a huge problem in our society. Okay, so back to the family values, we say, what is your parenting style? Let's look at the ways that you can best talk to and influence your children. This is not something people do. People just parent the way they were parents. But remember, we have, again, for at least this generation, my generation, and even the millennials as well, is you're just nobody says let me take a parenting class. Most often they they say these were analog models, right? The way I was parented is go outside, and I realize that seems somewhat ridiculous now, um, because a lot of people are you know hey stay inside with the iPad. I don't care, just don't bug me. But they the way we have analog parenting models, and we're raising digital natives. So what we say is you're really kind of gonna go back to the basics, you know things about uh so things that we were never explicitly taught but we just figured we could take from the way we were raised so we're saying if you want to live mindfully and consciously you go back to number 1 what's your parenting style do you want to make changes if so let us help you number 2 what are your family values because you come to a marriage or a partnership with family values and your partner comes and let's decide what we want to pass on to our children we feel that this tech issue is that important that it, it, is, it, it has to be grounded. And the family's values piece is the thing that is going to be the most powerful for the way that children take, the way that they were modeled, the, that their parents modeled this kind of tech um, usage and the way they will take it into their future when they go off to college and beyond. And people think that the children don't listen and don't take the family values. But if you think about it, as adults and your, your listeners as well, we do. We take the family values. We do integrate. We live those family values. We'll never, we may or may not never ad- admit it, but that is something the children take away. It's a very powerful tool. So then we kind of, we update the parents again. What do, we don't really look neuroscience is only about a decade old, right? So, so the learnings that we've managed to gain data, not correlative, but causal data about the teen brain. Is new information, so we give them that information. We give them case studies, and then we give them different ways this thing has worked for other people. Then, in the end, we talk to them how to broach the conversation and have that conversation about we're going to introduce limits in our house, and this is why. So that's the way the the current course, which is we call it "Make Your Screen Contract Work," or um, it's a, it's the boot camp approach, but it kind of goes back to the basic and brings you right up to a two-way agreement with the child and the parents that says all of these devices are going to be managed in our houses with rules. They're going to have scaffolding around them, including us, you know, as parents, we're going to make changes. We're, we are not going to text and assume that if you take that net positive at dinner, who says that people have to be always available, right? So if you go then to Tristan Harris and you look at his model, it says this, and again, Cal Newport, Who says the always on, always available usage of a phone where people are expected to always be there was sold to us. It was the Facebook IPO, pre IPO, and they needed to find ways to monetize more data. So they created the like button. Okay. What that did was sold people that they have to be always on, available and to give data at any time. And they used our social capital, right? So if you get the backstory to to the usage and the way we've been sold as a society, it's all negotiable. When you say, what do I intentionally want to do with my family? How do I want to use technology to enhance my life? And how do I want to raise my children so they know how to use technology and how it influences their life moving forward?
0: Wow. Oh, that is so important. And important things for keeping keeping in mind either whether it's you're a kid in a family, whether you're a parent or whether you're thinking about having a family someday, because times are changing. And it is important that everybody within the family is on the same page with regards to family values. I love what you were saying about that because it's absolutely true.
1: Frankly, I think that, so our course, like I said, it's a lot of it is people trying to look at their own behavior but I will say that this, the, what we've learned, I think does apply much more broadly because of the work we've been doing with people like Cal Newport and organizations like Campaign for a Commercial Field Childhood and the Center for Humane Technology. I've been involved in those efforts. So on the West Coast, uh, I know I think you're involved in the East Coast, but there's a lot of efforts to give a lot of new data. The Center for Humane Technology in April of this year came out with a new agenda for tax. And they gave really startling ways that technology has started to downgrade humanity. So we are going to be coming out with a course that really applies to anyone with or without children, really just how to consider technology as it pertains to the way they're living their life. And again, another example of that would be, um, you know, if we say, uh, okay, think of your conversation with someone. And they're having a conversation and let's, you know, the most egregious offense is they're texting while they're having a conversation. And you kind of say, okay, I like this person. Uh, should I say something? Should I not? But it's become so normalized that you kind of accept it. Well, what if we say, you know what? I mean, again, if you were with me, you would know because I say, excuse me. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to talk another time? Um, or (laughs) I say, well, if you'd like to talk. I, and I say, would you like to talk another time? Because I see you're busy. Or um, if I, I said, be here or I'm going to leave, right? Because I'm giving you my attention. And what, what this is the attention economy. And people talk about how that exists online. But I'm actually saying it exists offline as well. Just because texting and meetings has become normalized does not mean we need to accept it. So, again, if you take that conversation to even a bunch of people getting together uh, for dinner. Number one, I I will not be at a dinner table with people texting. And that means I will leave. But that is also, you know, that's me. You can have less dramatic gestures. But another thing is pictures. So if you take about parents with photos, they'll always say, Oh my God, look at this bit. But so they leave the conversation they're in with the person sitting across from them to introduce the device. What we suggest is you ask someone's permission before you do that. Okay? So you say, Oh my gosh. I love that. I have a picture of blah, blah, blah. Do you mind if I check my device? Do you mind if I look at my photo and show you that picture? And oftentimes, if you look at the net benefits, that picture is going to add to your conversation without it, you would have the same exchange and you would actually have a deeper connection with that person. Show them the picture later or maybe not at all. Right. It's so again, it's, it's, it really infects every part of our life and after the deep dive I took about parenting because parenting is a sweet spot um just to to to, to go off a little bit and why parenting is so important we've both we've become addicted ourselves can cure it for ourselves and teach a new generation of children all in all in the same lifetime Right. So we we as parents, I would say we have specific, you know, a special amount of power. But the younger generation can really reconsider every aspect about the way they're using those computers in their pockets that are literally not just knowing that they are money, that they are propelled by corporations that are seeking money, but also the way it affects their connection, because the, the opposite of addiction is connection. And the way that it's eroding our world and our society little little digital picture by digital picture is something that I consider I, i'm I'm not willing to accept it, and I don't think others should either.
0: Yes, I absolutely agree with you on that A lot of what I'm hearing you talk about and a lot of what I saw on your website throughout the verbiage that you're using and how you talk about your program. It seems like community in a lot of ways is almost like a central theme to your work. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. How crucial do you believe is community in today's digital age, whether it be community within a family, community among a variety of families, or even just communities with groups of people?
1: So I I think it's, it's enormously important and potentially the most painful sort of Friction filled change element. Okay. And I say this because my family's back in Chicago and I'll go home and they have people will give lip service to this thing about, yes, I want to be connected. Yes, I want to um, uh, get my kids so they get off their phones. You know, the complaining is something that's a lot easier than finding the solution and, and changing your behavior. So back at home, what I find is not. I mean, I travel 3,000 miles to come to see my family, and my I have sisters. I mean, the way they use their phones is offensive to a degree that I can barely even articulate. Um, and I guess I won't send them this podcast. But um, it's so to involve yourself and sort of hang out with a community of like-minded people. Once you're aware of and you get a sort of you, you, you're sensitized to the invasion of these de- commercially supported devices, it does become hard to be around other people who are not living, you know, the, as Gandhi said, be the change, right? So I find it um, that I am able to, I find I need to excuse myself from those situations if people aren't willing to at least say, hey, this is my experience. This is why I feel this way. Are you willing to participate in this in-person exchange without that device, right? So I, again, I have a, a, a blog post I'm putting up. It's a blog post I did a couple of years ago, maybe one, two years ago, about Thanksgiving interrupted, okay? So Thanksgiving, you know, it's a time when you're supposed to all be together, right? There's all the words and the lip service around it. Then there's the reality where, you know, you hate your family and you really, you know, So people drink too much and all that jazz. But the point is, it's certainly not a time where people should be texting under the table. Now, (laughs) fast forward to teenagers, right? So you got teenagers, you have a bunch of people who really don't know each other in their day-to-day lives, right? And you bring them all together. And, you know, same thing for Christmas and all the other holidays around this time. How do you have, how do you cultivate connection at those times, right? So to be around people who are using their devices in a way where I feel it's an affront to me. I traveled to be here. I came here and I'm giving you my attention, which is my my most valuable asset. Let me tell you why when you're on your device, I feel that you're not valuing my time. If in fact, after being aware of that, the person still claims, oh, that, for me anyway, that's just your thing, right? Then I'm not willing to participate in that dialogue anymore, right? I'm not going to say, oh, sure, just finish that conversation you're having with your high school old boyfriend who's totally insignificant to your life while we're in the middle of a heated debate. I'm not willing to do that. So for me, that's a statement that I hope will leave a mark on that person and potentially get them to look at their own behavior. So when you're around like-minded people, and again, I'll give another example. Believe it or not, my 16-year-old daughter, um, you know, she's grown up in the middle in the you know, belly of the beast, of course, but she asked me to so in at breakfast time, if I'm there, like if I'm walking around, because you know breakfast time varies, um, I say you don't have your device out and you're not on your computer. If you didn't do your homework last night, that's a whole nother discussion. But While I'm there, let's have, if we're bored and not talking, let's let boredom teach us something, right? But everybody's not going to be on our devices, even on a podcast, right? So this morning, I was listening in one ear to um, a podcast that, you know, it's educational. I fancy myself as being, you know, I listen to Colbert in the morning to look at my news, but I put it away. So that, and again, it's just small, common courtesies that say, I value you. So Again, my daughter would never ask to be on a device unless it was homework and we had already talked about why it was something that she you know, didn't do last night, nor would she, um, she, she actually asked me to put a device restriction. We use a, a, a product called Unglue, which unites both the phone usage and the computer usage through a private VPN and it distinguishes between entertainment time and productivity. I'm going to put a pin in that discussion because for parents and for people using screen time and all those things, that's a very important distinction, right? The ways all media is not created equal, but I'm going to put a pin in that for now. So she actually asked for that restriction because one night she stayed up till three in the morning because I had taken it off since my son is off for college thinking, okay, you kids have had the, you know, you've been exposed to this for long enough. Let's see what happens if you self-regulate. And she said, I can't do it, mom. And so she asked to have those restrictions on her devices where we restrict entertainment time through that device. And they decide, again, if TikTok, which is the newest app, they add that to entertainment time. I don't have to study what the newest ridiculous thing is that people come up to monetize the children. and, And then we cut off completely the internet at a certain time at night. That means... If you know you know that you're screwing around when you come home with your friends texting on Snapchat, on Instagram, if you want to do that, knock yourself out. But I'm not going to let you stay up till midnight to get your homework done because that's what's happening with children as well, right? They're, quote, in air quotes, doing homework. But I can assure you when they're laughing at their stats homework, that's not homework. <laughs> They've right, tabbed right? over. Tab, 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 tab. Remember, Google owns Google Classroom. Google owns YouTube. It's the same algorithm, right? So oh, as parents, yeah, I mean, and again, they've standardized in schools, right? So it's not just us. It's that the schools are on Google Classroom. It's the way they give homework, so the way they submit homework, all of those things. So they've weaseled their way into my home. I did not invite them there, right? So this is a company, and there are various tools that changes all the time, that actually distinguish between those two things. And you know, of course, I'm on the phone with the textbook guy the minute that becomes because it will always change. They'll change the algorithm and all of a sudden the kid's going to be online. My child will try incognito mode. I mean there's always going to be one step ahead, which is why I go back to family values, the two-way agreement. You know, I mean it's it's something you have to develop a level of trust around the children and also know like everything, they're going to break some rules. And then it becomes habituation, right? My child is going to come home from college for Thanksgiving. He's been sleeping. He's been, God only knows what he's been doing. He's a boy. He's got a five word vocabulary, right? So he, sorry, maybe not all boys, <laughs> my boy. Um, but again, so he will not sleep with his phone in his room. I realize it could be an alarm clock, but he will not sleep because this is a whole nother subject. Older adults. Okay. That a lot of people are finding the boomerang. Right. that, And I don't know how many of your listeners are living at home. They don't have to tell me it's okay. I lived at home till I was 24. But what's happening is, you know, you go to college, the kids come back. And again, this is what we've had a whole slew of clients where the kids are sitting on the couch playing video games. Why? Because it's easier than looking for a job. (laughs) So what we've developed is an older adult living agreement that says when you live in this house, if here are the agreements we make and a lot, it's about the devices. It's also about a lot of other things, but it manages the de- devices because of what those de- devices displace in other behaviors for the older kids, right? So it will displace if they come home, you know, my, my son will be home potentially for a month over, um, over winter break and that will be a managed device situation, right? He's been living in a situation where it's not. But this is a home where they're not paying rent, right? They're roommates, okay? So it's something where, and and people, we've had a lot of problems with the older adults because the parents are sitting by watching them sort of whittle their life away, you know, eat their food, sort of stay rent-free. They love the children and they don't know what to do. And we kind of say, okay, here's a different kind of agreement, but it's because it's in your home. Once they move out, yeah, you're kind of, you've had, your time and they will come around and everyone has their own path but that's a time when you really don't have the right to sort of structure you can if you kind of talk about your family values and you maintain that relationship then you can but children want limits that's what we found it's the research proves it out and what you're gonna find is if you do it in a way that the child can hear based on the child's personality your family values um, the way that your parenting style, you know. Also, you need to get your partner on board or we have a whole set of understanding and we have language if your partner is not on board. So there's no situation that we have not dealt with so far, right? Divorced parents, huge issue. And And it's one that I have myself. I am living, my husband and I are divorced and we live in the same home. Wow. <laughs> we live on opposite sides of the same home. So that's another situation, but around this situation, we agree, right? Parents living in two separate homes have a different situation, right? So so we have really dealt with all different forms of the parenting struggle, and it, it is something you have the right to do it, and your children want limits. They do. Just because you handed them an iPad on the plane when they were two years old to keep them quiet does not mean... When they're 15 years old they get unfettered access to a port to a device that is changing their behavior based on how they monetize the eyeballs right they will continue to create channels that are addictive that offer intermittent variable rewards like a slot machine and as parents we would not give them drugs. We wouldn't give them, you know, crack at that age. Here, here's a little crack dispension advice. You know, here's a device that has opiates in it, but only use it when it really hurts. But here, carry it around <laughs> with you all day. Right.
0: Right. That's not right. something we
1: would do. But that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah,
0: it's oh my gosh. It's really when you take a step back and analyze it all and lay it out just as you have, it really is mind-blowing in a lot of ways just the impact that technology is having on us on our families on our kids and i'm i'm curious with regards to what we talk about on this podcast so much of it is about the importance of cultivating meaningful relationships in today's digital age Absolutely. and given all the work that you've done with Screen Age Bootcamp I'm wondering what is your definition of a genuine meaningful relationship and how can Screen Age Bootcamp help with the development of our relationships to one another
1: So great question great question so again I think that the I really default I guess I've I've adapted Cal Newport's approach wholeheartedly and will be, again, when we kind of take this course a little bit broader, we'll be integrating a lot of those learnings. He's, of course, working on his new book, um, you know, uh, but that which is about email, which is another thing. But again, not not something that is as pertinent for parenting yet, because children don't answer their emails, as you know, or you may you may not know. But I, I could. You know, I actually have a walkie talkie to use to contact my daughter in the other room because she doesn't answer her texts or emails. Um, anyway, the, the, so the way to cultivate meaning relate, meaningful relationships, I'm going to default to the Cal Newport model, which is we have substituted connection, connections, sort of mo- modalities of connection for in-person deep relationships. So, and we've, assumed that they are the same. So I'm going to take, for instance, texting, right? So I have a friend where we were having a text conversation. She reached out to me, oh my God, I got to tell you something blank and dropped a big bomb on me. And I responded, this is not a text conversation, okay? Because I'm not willing to engage in that level of a uh, sort of somewhat difficult, emotion-filled um, uh, nuanced conversation about that kind of subject on text. Okay. So what, what Cal Newport suggests is again, he's pretty radical. He says ditch social media altogether and let's just cultivate, use the time that we save to cultivate real world, deep, important relationships mindfully with those we cherish. So for instance, I've had friends since I was five. Right that the, you know one of them lives in San Francisco, one lives in l a well, if I say, "Hey, I miss you, can we set a time to talk, and can I come and see you?" That is cultivating a real relationship. liking their Facebook feeds is not cultivating a real relationship. I don't hold currency to liking people's anything on Instagram or otherwise um right, so so I'll learn how to use Snapchat, but guess what my kids won't even let me um. Uh, connect to them, which I said, can you friend me on Snapchat? And they're like, ha. Ah. they're like, okay, boomer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. But um, so cultivating real re- relationship is identifying fewer relationships that really matter. And they fill you up as a human being. It's usually people who are like-minded, could be people who are not like-minded, because there's a whole value pre- proposition for that as well. But it, it really values the real world in-person connections, if you can. Phone is possible, but, you know, f- services like Zoom or um, FaceTime make, you know, you get those nuances from the cues of, you know, the the, the the seeing people's faces. So those kinds of things, those kinds of relationships are the ones that we should invest all of our time in. And if you're going to use applications like Screen Time or otherwise, look at the quality of what media you're using right so it would be yes there's productivity and there's all kinds of ways that you know we can use the google suite excel and you know word and all those things to share documents but real world relationships typically still are enhanced in person right so they're in person things like cultivate boredom and you know things that again i've really adopted the cal newport you know, philosophy that says drain the shallows. So get rid of the riffraff stuff in your social media to leave airtime for other things to evolve, right? So it's things like start a book club. I just started, I took my daughter to an improv class, right? When you drain the shallows, the shallows being the busy work, the disruption, the um, yelling at your kids because you haven't taken the time to set rules in the house. Um, the things like, um, you know, sitting on Facebook and liking this and posting that and sort of curating your profile, you'll find that you have time to invest in real world, important relationships that matter and they will, they will exist over time over the duration, right? So most of my really great friends who I cherish are not on Facebook. I, I actually happen to like Facebook, but I have something called Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator on my on my Facebook that takes away the newsfeed and shows me an inspirational
0: quote. Wow, I love that. I, I've never heard of that before.
1: Oh yeah, that I use it because I'm involved in private communities that, for which uh, you know that I really value, but I use them intentionally and I don't want to see that newsfeed and I don't want to have that newsfeed hijack my attention when I'm there for something else right? So I've created scaffolding around my own use. And I've learned, I've trained myself to, you know, when I'm going to call someone, I call it, the other thing is, is again, I'm one, I'm an extreme, so you don't have to do all these things. But when somebody calls me, I know when it's, I call it a car call, right? Which is, I have excess time, I'm going to reach out to you and go, hi, it's me. Boom. What is that? That's, I have excess, I, I call it, you know, sort of auctionable time that's available, and I will list them in a scroll through, and you're one of them. If they're not saying, hey, I'd like to get together, and I was on my way blank, right? Or, or if they're doing something while they're on the phone with me, again, I don't tolerate those. Those are not connections. Those are not connections that matter. And again, it's important that parents and we ourselves understand that boredom, on the edge of boredom, is creativity. And we as a society, Unwilling to tolerate boredom. I've stopped walking my dog with my t- cell phone. I do not keep my, I don't have it with me. When I go for a run, I do not have a device with me. Does it cut down on my podcast consumption? Yes. But on the productivity side, I've learned to listen to audio at three times the speed because I learned in my productivity class that your brain can process information, audio content at three times the speed. So, you know, you make up for it on the things that matter. And then you really create a life for yourself where you're cultivating both your connection with yourself, which is primary because it's the one that is most important, and your connection with those people who are most important in your life, which goes back to your family values, right? So what's happened is this: we've we've let people come in to the bottom of our brainstem, right, so all of these people, even me, and I don't mean even me, Again, I'm going to give you an example of how I, too, am, uh, I'm, I'm subject to fail in this sort of mission that I have. I was at dinner at someone's house. We had finished the dinner and I said, may I show you again, the name of my old um, dog products company, believe it or not, was called Poop Buddy. And it was designer (laughs) dog waste bags that came with a treat and a toy. And it was crazy. And it was very successful because people liked, you know, you need gingham. Poop bags, because you know people with dogs just love dogs. So, so I said, "May I show you?" Because it's a very cute thing the way that we managed to actually put a product out there. Um, And I said, "I want to show it to you." And they said, "Oh yeah, I'd love to see it." So I said, "May I use it?" And then while I was showing them, I got an incoming call, and it wasn't one my was expecting. So I answered it and walked out to the corner. Look what I just did. I I allowed that call incoming to interrupt what I was using that device for and didn't think twice about it and the person at the dinner called me on it and I said oh my god you're right wow wow is this pervasive right (laughs) so again if you get down to it it becomes and when I talk to people they're about it really they're like jesus wow wow so those people I can deal with right I can be with those people who say god that makes sense the people who say oh that's your thing and again there's a couple of, as you might imagine, they, they we, we share blood. Um, but, you know, if we're those types of people, it becomes very difficult to maintain those ongoing close connections because we are in such difficult uh, different pages. And frankly, the um, forces at play are so strong and distraction has become normalized. And, you know, sitting in a grocery line and just waiting and looking around is is a rarity. And, and, and again, even, you know, being on a plane, being anywhere and just looking around or talking to people is so rare that I do it because I want people to know what it's like to connect in person. Right. I want them to know the joy of true, genuine connection. And that's what I want in my life.
0: Yes. Ah, Marisa, it's so important. And Oh my gosh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate just how you really dived deep into the this topic that we were talking about. I love how you were talking about the importance of family values, the importance of teaching tech wellness in in families whether it be with the parents, with the kids and how all of this education can really help us in our relationship to our devices. So thank you so much for coming out on the show.
1: Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. And if people, again, for your audience, if they are interested, and I'll just say it here, is you can, we would offer them 50% off the course with the code at checkout that is called, uh, with the code SHIPS, sam well, ships, like the show. Um, as in, uh, Great. Yeah, and we also a lot offer a lot of things that people might be interested in, like how to ta- give your um, teen how to put uh, limits on screens without taking away their freedom or some sample screen contracts or, you know, how to ask questions of your kids and then an, a new after-school routine. Things about, you know, kids come home and they act like the phone is a thing that's, on their head and they become consumed in it and the reason they never get homework done is cuz they're still on their phone at 5 o'clock right so we have things like a new after school routine we have a lot of templates that we offer on our site to for parents to be able to get an idea of how they might apply these concepts in their own life
0: that's great and Where can our listeners find out more information about you and your work?
1: Sure. Um, We're on all the
0: social media
1: channels, but I think that if they like us on Facebook, that's great channel. Um, We are on Instagram, but also they can email me directly at Marisa, M-A-R-I-S-S-A at screenagebootcamp.com because I'm interested in hearing from people about their struggles and offering them the best solution for their family at this time. So, um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, we're on YouTube. I would say Facebook and Instagram are the places that we are most. And, um, because that's where the parents we cater to are, are most. But, um, we're also on all the social media channels, usually as Screen Age Bootcamp or Screen Age BC. Great. Yes. And um, so I would love to talk to people. I'd love to get email, hear your specific questions that you can post in the Facebook group or on Twitter as well. Um, Any of those places, I would love to hear from people. Tell me your problems.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, I'll make sure to include all that information in the show notes. So, listeners out there, be sure to check out the show notes.
1: One last thing, and I'm so sorry to interrupt. We also have started speaking at colleges. Schools, PTA meetings, and other organizations who really just need a sort of a one-on-one on what do we do, right? So they don't want to go through the course, they don't want to do this, but help me, please. And so we're available to speak as well. Um, so you can contact me about that. I'm sorry. That's it.
0: No, no, don't be sorry. This is all great. It's amazing information, and I encourage our listeners for those who may be looking for these type of services and help to get in touch with Marisa. So Marisa, thank you so much again for joining us on the show. Thank you. There you have it everyone. Marisa Verson Harrison. Wow. What a great episode. She really dived into the details of digital addiction about the influence that excessive technology use could have on the development of our minds the development of our relationships of our families and so I really appreciate Marisa you coming on the show and I encourage you all to take what she said I encourage you all to really research her work, research her program, and implement it into your life, especially if you're someone who struggles with the impact of technology on your life. So thank you so much, Marisa. If you liked this episode, or if you think this episode will really resonate with someone, please feel free to share it, comment, subscribe. I would really appreciate it. If you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review, this would give me some great insight into how I can go about improving this podcast for you all. Also, if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. Said voicemail may be released in a future episode of Ships, so feel free to call in also have the opportunity to support this podcast supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing episodes with amazing and inspiring guests so thank you so much for tuning into the ship's podcast everyone i really hope that you're getting something out of all of these episodes and i look forward to joining you all in the next one